0: So, this seminar is entitled Preaching in India, Preaching Krishna Consciousness in India. So, I hope to cover everything in two to four days. I'm not exactly sure how long it will take to cover everything. Uh, I'd like to start by reading some quotes for Srila Prabhupada, which I compiled in this book, a message to the youth of India, which I suggest everyone takes a copy. You can take afterwards, ten rupees each. Uh, This gives some idea of things we can say to Indian people, good things for preaching. So, this is Srila Prabhupada. India is the best place for spiritual life. According to Vedic civilization, the holy places of pilgrimage are considered most sacred. And still there are hundreds and thousands of holy places like Jagannath Puri, Vrindavan, Haridwar, Rameshwaram, Prayag and Mathura. India is the place for worshipping or for cultivating spiritual life. Birth in India is special. The learned sages inform us that one takes his birth in India, the holy land of Bharatvarsh, after the gradual process of evolution through 8,400,000 species of life. The special feature of a birth in India is that a person born in India becomes automatically God-conscious. In every part of India, and especially in the holy places of pilgrimage, even an ordinary uneducated man is inclined towards Krishna-consciousness, and as soon as he sees a Krishna-conscious person, he offers obeisances. A short land, a short life in the land of Paripadasha is preferable to a life achieved in Rambalo for millions and billions of years, because even if one is elevated to Brahma-loki, he must return to repeated birth and death. Although life in Bharat Varsha in the lower planetary system is very short, one who lives there can elevate himself to full Krishna consciousness and achieve the highest perfection. Even in this short life, by fully, fully surrendering unto the lotus feet of the Lord. Even the demigods desire birth in India. In the Kurma Purana, there is this statement about the desires of the demigods. Anadi karino Devas Although the demigods are situated in an exalted position in the heavenly planets, they nevertheless desire to descend to the land of Bharata-Varsha on the planet Earth. This indicates that even the demigods are unfit to reside in Bharata-Varsha. So th- this is the discussion of this seminar. Uh, the purpose of this krishna Consciousness mode is preaching. Preaching is the essence. Preaching in every place has its own speciality. You see when Prabhupada first went to America, Satsapu Maharaj notes how Prabhupada in his Prabhupada Lailamrata, notes how Prabhupada, when he was first in America, he studied the situation, how people live, how they think, how they act, so as to be able to interact with them and present Krishna consciousness to them in such a way that they could receive it more easily. So for preaching in India it's Important to understand what is the, how the people think, what is their consciousness, how they live, how we can interact with them. This seminar will be especially for devotees from Western countries coming to preach in India. Suppose that those who live in India are familiar with the culture, but of course it will be useful for devotees for preaching to Indians in other parts of the world. Also, uh, Indians spread now all over the world. And, uh, of course, even for devotees who are in India, preaching in India, we'll be discussing some of the philosophical lines that we have to take up in preaching. So uh, there's one interesting quote that comes up in Harishwari Prabhu's Transcendental Diary that, uh, of course, Prabhupada, if we study Prabhupada's life, after he took sannyas and he went to the Western countries, he established Krishna consciousness in the West, But after establishing Krishna consciousness in the West, he put most of his time and energy in India. He spent more time in India. He brought money from the West to India for building temples. He put a lot of energy into India and at that time, most of Prabhupada's disciples, they couldn't understand why, because at that time, uh, the response to Krishna consciousness is not as good as it is now. There was a lot of skepticism about Western people becoming devotees, atheism was uh, much stronger. And so devotees were wondering why, most Western devotees who Prabhupada brought to India were wondering why Prabhupada is putting so much stress on India. And Harishwai Prabhu, he notes one incident in which he he had a glimpse of the potential of preaching in India. And he said, now Prabhupada, I'm beginning to understand a little bit why you are saying that India is the most important place in the world. Prabhupada said, it's not the most important place in the world, it's the most important place in the universe. So that's actually, the fact preaching in India is very important. One reason is that people here, they can very easily take to Krishna consciousness. Prabhupada, elsewhere in his book I record how Prabhupada says that every Indian is Krishna conscious. That even the Muslims, who are supposed to be against, that even they are also Krishna conscious. Even if they don't appear to be, everyone in this land is Krishna conscious. Hari Saurabhu today told me that Prabhupada said that within one year the whole of India can become Krishna conscious. So one reason that India is very important for preaching is because it's a very good field for preaching. Uh, we want to preach in a, of course we want to preach everywhere among all people, but especially we want to preach where the field is fertile, where people take it up more easily. Prabhupada gave that example. That on a battlefield when there are many people wounded, the doctor will deal with those who are less wounded first because they could be easily revived and they can get up and fight and help others. Whereas those who are more sick, you might spend all your time Trying to revive them, and in the end, they don't revive anyway. So, you want to spread Krishna consciousness everywhere, but especially India is a very good field. People can take up Krishna consciousness very easily there. Even people who call themselves atheists in India, you this again Harish I was discussing with him this afternoon. And I've, of course, had this experience personally many, many times that someone will say, oh, I'm an atheist, I don't believe any of this. And you discuss with them a little bit philosophy, and then find out, it doesn't take much for their atheism to be lost. And they say, yes, well, actually, and they'll start quoting some Bhagavad Gita shlokas like this. Many, even those who say they're atheistic, often they just say that because they're out of uh, some kind of false pride or out of disgust with the Hinduism as they see it or because of bad association. But practically we find that uh, almost everybody... If, we, if they're dealt with in the right way, they can be awakened to some kind of Krishna consciousness. Of course that's true everywhere, but generally speaking, those from other countries, their Krishna consciousness is more covered over. Another reason why preaching Krishna consciousness in India is very important is because, uh, after all, our movement from the cultural or the external point of view is an Indian movement and if it is seen to be successful and accepted in India, then it will add more legitimacy to our movement in, our, in other parts of the world. I know in England, for instance, that uh, our movement is considered to, it is, is considered more of a bona fide movement because among the English people, because they see that the Indians, they support this movement very strongly. So people think, well, the Indian people support it, and it must be something which is actually a bona fide religion. It's not just something which someone has dreamed of. So, uh, these are different reasons why uh, India is important for preaching. And it's why Western devotees should preach here. Uh, now, there are different reasons for that. One reason is that it's good for the preaching. When Indian people see Western devotees chanting Hare Krishna, that has a great effect. Because India, anyone who has traveled, all of that, there's a famous speech Prabhupada was giving, please come on. You'll see on that old film, that first film about our movement, the, the Hare Krishna people by There Prabhupada, you can still see that in the video series. Prabhupada, he was speaking at theater in San Francisco, and he said, I'm traveling all over the world, and wherever I go I see that people are imitating your American culture and building big, big skyscrapers. So like this, all over the world, Everyone is, all Africa, India, Arab countries, to a greater or less extent, everyone is following the West, especially America. So when Indian people see, Western people, chanting Hare Krishna, it has a tremendous effect, which I, I, the more I stay in India, the more I realize how much effect, it, just to see tilak, shaved head of the ladies, saris, chanting Hare Krishna, that in itself has a tremendous effect. And when the Western devotees actually speak about Krishna consciousness, that has even more effect. And people come up to you and ask, who are you, where are you from? Sometimes our devotees get bothered by you, they get disturbed, because it can happen many, many times in a day. People come up to you, what's your name? Where are you from? But actually people are asking, because it's not that they're bothering you. They may be bothering you, but that they actually feel that, oh, who is, the, who is this person? They want to know about this. It's something unusual to them, something which excites something in their, in their heart, that here is someone who's a western person, who's chanting Hare Krishna, who's, who's dressed like a sadhu, he believes in our culture and our way of life. So that, that enkindles a, a, a great sense of interest and pride in Indian people and, uh, it's very simple psychology, which Prabhupada understood even before he went to the West. That uh, that we are following the Western people. We, we Indian people give great respect to Western people. Uh, but look what they're doing. They're chanting Hare Krishna. And why am I not doing it? This is our culture. Our forefathers, they were doing this. I, they're doing it. I should also do it. And then when we speak to them, and so many times I've had the experience, people have told me, oh, "I let this." I met your Western devotee, I met him fifteen years ago. This is another thing, if you meet someone, you might just meet them on the train, and they'll speak to you, and you'll forget it. But they won't forget it. They'll remember it, and they'll go back to their village, and they'll tell people. And uh, you know, I've had this experience, someone comes up to me and says, do you remember me? I, I met you in the marketplace seventeen years ago. <laughs>
1: do
0: you remember me? I don't remember. I don't remember. They remember. They'll never forget. And if a group of our devotees come into a town or village, people, they don't forget, they remember. It has a tremendous impact. And the cumulative effect of this, I'll talk about that later, the cumulative effect of this preaching, it builds up and builds up and builds up so that people, their faith more and more and more increases, especially if our devotees, they speak shlokas, and uh, if they're very strong, people are very impressed by that, if they're very strong in preaching the philosophy. And they're very rigid. No, you won't take tea. We won't take anything. They see this rigidity. They're very impressed by that. And then they feel that I should also take this up. So this is the effect. It's also, apart from the good effect that our devotees preaching, Western devotees preaching in India has on the Indian people, it's also very good for the Western devotees to come to India. Prabhupada wanted this. Of not possible for every <coughs> devotee to come, but Prabhupada at least wanted the devotees to come at Gopanima time to visit Mayapur, Vrindavan, visit the Holy towns. He wanted them to do that regularly. And he also wanted devotees to come and stay in India. One of the main reasons was to learn about the culture, uh, the Vedic culture. Now, this culture has gone down a lot since Prabhupada was here. In the last twenty years this culture has gone down so much, it's almost... In many ways, it's almost like being in a different country. I, I feel it's it's so much change, but still, Prabhupada used to quote that Bengali saying that even a dead elephant is worth a lakh of rupees. So even uh, if we say that India's culture has gone down so much, India's becoming so much materialistic, but still, there's no comparison with any, there's no comparison with any other country in the world. The spiritual culture and atmosphere, which is going on in India today. So those devotees who are sensitive and observant as they live in India, spend some time in India, talk with people, see how they live, can learn many, many things which can help us to live as human beings, because in the Western countries the the way of life, it's not suitable for human beings. Everything, the way people talk and act and deal with each other. it's. the way they eat, mannerisms, the whole culture of the Western world is meant for sense enjoyment. It's all meant for going to hell. It's meant for living hellishly and going to hell. Whereas the original Indian culture, of course, by the influence of Kali Yuga, it's much run down, but there are still many cultured people. Uh, that original Indian culture is meant for going back home, back to Godhead. And the general atmosphere is still just... That's one thing... Uh, you probably notice more when you first come to India. You'll see all the shop signs, uh, Krishna Chandra Datta and Sons, or famous sweet shopping called Gangaram Sweets. So all the name, even sweets are uh, uh, Hari Charan Prasad Day Road. Everything. I mean, the name Krishna Naga. You can't avoid Krishna, even if you're even a Muslim. You can't avoid Krishna. You see, even what's the what's the name of the prime minister? Who can say the name of the prime minister of India? Does anyone know? Narasimhara. Nara no, not Singh. Singh already left. He was a he was Leapy uh, Singh. He was long before. So uh, Narasimhara. Uh, so even uh, even uh, if you don't think about Krishna, you can't forget him. It's very difficult to forget Krishna. And of course you'll find in all the buses, in people's houses. Now people are giving up the culture. But uh, generally, you find in people's houses there's pictures of Krishna. People wear lockets with Krishna. All the demigods. Uh, some spiritual culture is there. It's uh, very strong. Now, one thing that uh, this is my personal observation. Others may not agree, but I, I often think that uh, many of our devotees in the West they're practicing Krishna consciousness, but in their hearts there are many doubts. And I think it must be true because devotees come and they go. They come and they go away. And one reason they go away is because they have doubts. They're not convinced that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and that the only purpose of life is to act in such a way that we can develop our love for Krishna and get free from birth and death and go back home, back to Godhead, back to Krishna. Now, one of the reasons that they'll be, they may be doubting is that it may seem to devotees in the Western countries that this Krishna consciousness is just a small movement and the real world is everything except Krishna consciousness, because it seems, if you're living in the Western world, it seems that reality is all the nonsense which goes on outside our temples. That seems like real life, and people take it very seriously, and the whole life of getting a job, and getting a family, and enjoying the senses, and all political issues, and rock music, and sports, and people take this all very seriously. And no one's the general interest in Krishna consciousness is not there. It just seems that Krishna is just a small, insignificant <coughs> little thing. But when we come to India, we see that this is the, the whole culture is supportive to Krishna consciousness. It's not just some little group. Of, in the Western world, we are, for want of a better word, a cult. But in India, we're part of the mainstream. Not we. This is the mainstream culture. India's culture is based on spiritual life, and not only are we uh, part of the mainstream, but we're actually respected for being devotees. Whereas in the Western world, we may people in general they may be neutral and may consider us a little strange, but here in India, we are respected for being devotees, and we can speak to people about Krishna very openly and freely. And people come up to us and speak to us about Krishna. So. The atmosphere is very conducive for Krishna consciousness and we, we feel as if Krishna consciousness is a very natural thing, at least as long as we're in India. This much I've seen that devotees who do spend time in India, western devotees, that even if they go back and due to weakness, whatever, they don't maintain the full life of Krishna conscious after some time after going back to the west. They never, they can never give up Krishna consciousness or forget Krishna. It goes very deeply into the consciousness. Now, um, especially for brahmacharis, this we return about preaching in India, traveling preaching in India, I can't think of a nicer life for a brahmachari. Very simple, very nice. Wherever you go, people will respect you. There is uh, sufficient austerity. India is not a land of sense enjoyment, it's a land of austerity. Uh, It's a place where you can preach using the philosophy you learn in the books. In the Western countries, mostly, much of the philosophy that we learn, we discuss in our classes, we discuss among the devotees, but for preaching to the people in general, it's mostly a very, very simple level. Just to understand this point, that. You're not the body. We may have to preach on this point only to most people. And uh, to get people to chant Hare Krishna, often in the Western countries you may have to preach to people for weeks. Maybe different in different countries. Give them a lot of prasadam and so many things. Just to get people to chant Hare Krishna, Mm -hmm. it's very difficult sometimes. But at least in India, it's one of the first things you do, even before you speak any philosophy. Is, is to get them to chant Hare Krishna. So uh, traveling, preaching is very nice, You uh, very simple life. You can imagine just like the sadhus they used to do, and even today so many sadhus are doing, it. they go place to place. Sometimes you visit holy places, if you're traveling in a bus you just stop at night anywhere, sleep outside, you don't have to worry about anywhere to stay. Or if you're not, if you're going by public transport, everywhere people, someone will give you some place to stay. You stop in the bus, you stop by a river. Take bath in the morning, turn your rounds and go into a town for book distribution. Very nice life. Very good for Brahmacharis also, especially if they're... Because the atmosphere in the Western world is not very supportive of Brahmacharya, as you may have noticed. It's uh, the whole atmosphere there is... It's all based on lust. What Krishna says in the Gita, lust, greed and anger, they're the three gates leading to hell. So modern society is especially promoting lust, everyone should become very lusty. Because when you become lusty, then you lose your intelligence, Krishna explains in the Bhagavad-gita. And if people lose their intelligence, then you can sell, you can promote their greed and sell them all kinds of rubbish and keep them foolish forever. So, of course, they're trying in India, that's being promoted now, the materialistic civilization. But uh, still, that hasn't come as strongly in the West. In the Western countries, it's, it's very difficult, actually for devotees who want to be brahmacharis but still they find the atmosphere is very difficult. But uh, at least in India even now there is enough decency that it's uh, if you don't go looking for travel generally it doesn't come looking for you. That's what I found, that uh, if you want to stay brahmachari, of course ultimately it depends on our own desire, that you can stay brahmachari in the western world if your desire is strong enough and if you are in India you can fall down to the lowest level if you so desire. But if you desire, but you're finding, if you desire to stay Babacari, but you're finding it difficult in the Western countries, it's good, refreshing to come to India where that very lusty atmosphere is not so strong. And even if, actually for devotees, I recommend that you should, at some point, after a few years in the movement, at least you should make some life decision. Should I remain Brahmacharya? Should I get married? We should consider which way I'm going to put my life. But even if we think I'm going to get married, then it's good to come and spend some time in India before you do that and learn something about the culture, see how Indian people live in family life, traditional family life. It will be very valuable for you because we see marriage in Christian consciousness and Krishna Krishna says, uh, the Grihastha ashram has not been very successful. So devotees, if they see how Indian people live, there will be a good education for them. Cultural education. This is,
1: <coughs>
0: this is one thing you can get by living in India. Cultural education. Krishna conscious philosophy we have. But for culture, we can learn being here. If we spend some time here, then again if we go back to the Western countries, we can impart that to others. Yes. Prabhupada wanted to spread this culture all over the world. And actually it's not possible, Krishna conscious, by philosophy alone, it won't be able to be implanted in the western country. The, the culture, the whole way of life has to be there. Mm. Another point is, uh, you no, that, then we may, yes, very same on brahmacharis. Another thing, uh, it's also good for Krihaspas. For the same reason. If, uh, even uh, especially if they're newly married, they don't have any children, it's good to spend a little time in India, and see the culture, see how people live. Uh, some Grihasthas like to live in India also, even with their children, because uh, it's a better place for bringing up children. Uh, Grihastha preachers are also very good. Brahmachai sannyasi preachers people can respect, but they may not be able to become as friendly as they can with grihasthas because, after all, half or more of the population are women. So the women devotees can mix with the uh, Indian ladies and the this way, it's it's actually uh, very important. Just this happens quite often. The preaching to people, traveling groups, sanghas, you dramatize with the women. They're also very interested but all over the world. It's all the same There's these highways and the roads are nice and the cars are nice and people are efficient and the, uh, all the cities look the same India, as you may have noticed is quite chaotic not actually it's much more organized than 20 years ago I mean I saw 20 years ago devotees almost literally had nervous breakdowns because one devotee almost had a nervous breakdown over the phone system <laughs> because he was trying to phone trying to phone home to get some money sent and And anyway, that's you can write books about. It's very interesting in Calcutta outside the Telephone Bhavan, which is the office for the telephone, they have a they have a statue of the Cal of a telephone underneath the Calcutta telephone expired on such and such they had a procession of businessmen. They bought a big telephone to in mourning for the death of the Calcutta telephone. So there are so many things. It's, life's exciting. It's inter- It's, there's, you never know what's going to happen. Any kind of crazy thing can happen. I, and I remember one seeing in Calcutta, right in Esplanade in the center of the city, there was a, a man dressed in complete rags. Maybe he hadn't taken a bath since his mother bathed him. He was about 50 years old. And he was lying on the floor with all bones sticking out of his body. And he was lying on, he had a puppy dog, which was tied up to the to the uh, lamppost. Of course, the, the lamppost was, was just a lamppost with no lamp. That's, uh, anyway, the dog was trying he was holding the puppy dog up like this, and pulling its ears and making it make little noises like this, and giving it a little torture. Lying in there, and all people walking past, hundreds of thousands of people. I just thought if this man was exported to, to the Western world, all of a sudden, <laughs> there'd be any other place he'd be locked up and put in a manhouse. In Calcutta, it's just completely normal.
1: <laughs>
0: so many things. The buses, the anyway, the buses in Calcutta. You see, they go like this. There's all there's so many people on the side of the bus that the the uh, suspension broke years ago, and it looks like the bus should fall over. <laughs> and it's got dinga written on the back. D E N G A R. It's supposed to be danger. <laughs> you can't see that because there's five people hanging off the back <laughs> and somehow or other the bus conductor's inside trying to get money out of all the people <laughs> so it's, it's uh, it can be very frustrating but at least it, it's fun life's fun in India it's chaos but it's fun it's not stereotypical life in the west is very comfortable and easy but in any of the difficulties they, they add a little spice to life makes life interesting it's too boring if everything's easy
1: So,
0: the the immediate impression people get when they see our Western devotees, now this has had a cumulative effect over the last, Prabhupada started preaching, actually it's coming on almost 30 years now since Prabhupada started his preaching in India with Western devotees. Now there has been a tremendous effect of ISKCON in India. All over the world this movement is having a tremendous effect, but in some countries it's more visible. In India it's very much visible. How, what happened was, about thirty years ago at that time, the whole generation was quite atheistic. Of course, people in general, Indian people in general tend to be very pious, but that generation was quite atheistic. This was because, this I've also discussed in this book, what happened was, the British, they had a, a, a policy to brainwash the Indians that everything Western is best. The Indian culture is backward and foolish and stupid, and the Indian, they educated Indian people in English medium, English language. So that, and then they gave them the top posts in the administration. So that the leaders of India, Nehru was the first Prime Minister. Pandit Nehru. So, he was, he was made in England, Prabhupada said. He was made in England. He went to Oxford University and he believed that everything British is best. And he had this idea that, uh, India has become backward because it was, India was too religious. The Western countries, they have made progress because they have developed technology, whereas in India we are too much concerned with religion, and we don't, we don't, we only think of the future life. We don't care if we're starving because we think it's just our karma. So we should become economically and technologically developed. So Nehru, he was a great rascal. Uh, there are so many examples. Just like he was brought to the temple of Ranganatha Swami, the biggest Vishnu temple in India, that's in South India, when he visited. Madras, out of pride in their culture, people brought him to the Ranganathaswamy Temple in Sri Ranga. So he saw this huge area made for the temple, and he said, "So much space only for a temple? A factory could have been built here." And he he uh, he made all these projects, dam projects. He he made this industrialization of India. Otherwise, India's village culture. He his he said that the factories and dams. And electric power stations, they will be the new, they will be the temples of the new India. So this attitude was there. And, and, uh, people, they were, they were thinking that, uh, they had little faith. They thought this, uh, Hindu religion is not very scientific, elephant-headed god, and what is all this, and Christian. There, so many wrong ideas. That, that, that was there on one hand. On the other hand, there was this, uh, this caste Brahminism was there very strongly. That, uh, so when we first came to India, when I say it, when we, I mean I first came to India twenty years ago, and other devotees were preaching before that here. So uh, at that time many people they had the attitude, they, 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 they some people thought it was a joke that westerners were devotees, others they were very much against it, they you can't dress like this, it's a sacrilege, it's blasphemy, you can't wear a Brahmin thread. There are different attitudes, other people were welcoming also. They were impressed, but generally the impression was one of doubt, and that was exacerbated by press reports that say that ISKCON members are CIA, American spies, and it was surprising how widely this was considered to be true, even among educated people. There's a lot of doubt and suspicion about our movement, and the, the general atmosphere for preaching is very difficult. The uh, Mayabad was, of course, it's strong even now all over the world. Uh, especially in India. The Prophet said, you scratch anywhere in India and you'll find Mayavad. It's very, very difficult. Whenever whenever you speak, people, they, they won't accept that everything is not all one, we're not all God. Very, very difficult preaching. And uh, uh, especially in the colleges, we go in the colleges and young people call us names and very disrespectful. This, of course, I'm talking about in general, there are also very many nice people who liked us, but even then, the people that liked us, it was mostly that they thought, it's very nice that you have come to accept our culture. Now the atmosphere has changed. What happened was, due to, this is, as I see it, uh, people in India, they've seen our movement now for many years, they've seen Western devotees taking it very seriously. That in, Initially, when they see that they take pride in that, for many people in the beginning, they were thinking, well, it's just some some fad or fashion. Because they saw hippies came to India, and it's just some other kind of, some kind of passion they're doing. They, think, they didn't think it would last very, very long, but now they see over many, many years that Iskcon is here, devotees are following the principles, it's here to stay. And they hear the reports of Krishna consciousness spread all over the world, and they see devotees from all over the world. So they're, they're taking pride in that that uh actually this is our culture we should follow that and that the word has spread so that now uh all over India at least among educated people everyone's heard of this movement in places where our preaching is more prominent iscon is a household word as you'll see in the in the Bengali press. Iskon is Jatra, you don't have to explain what Iskon means. In Bombay, in Gujarat, in Bengal in Madras and Iska, just the word Iska, Everyone knows that means. They may not know, and many times people ask you, what does that actually mean? They may not know that it means the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, but they know it means the international Hare Krishna movement. So our movements become uh, our movement has become very respected and the whole atmosphere of the country has changed. Young people now, especially the more educated ones, all of them they're, again their natural pious tendencies have been awakened by the by this taking pride in their own culture. Uh, by seeing the Western devotees over so many years, by seeing that the Krishna culture is spreading all over the world, Indian people are again taking interest and faith in their own culture. Uh, there's a there's an ongoing political movement based on Hindutva, which means Hinduism. Uh, that was, that was there, Vishnu Hindu Parishad was there before, but they were not making much progress. Now, they're making a lot of progress because, because people are taking pride in their culture. So I put this down to, mostly to Prabhupada's movement Of course, we may say that there are other organizations who have followers in the West also, who also have followers in India, but there's not, they're not in, in terms of the effect on people's consciousness, it's not like ISCOS. Just like there's Ananda Marg, there's this Osho, that Rajneesh Rasco. and uh, different organizations. They also have Westerners, but people know that this movement is special, it's different. Because in this movement our members, they follow principles very strictly as one thing. And another thing is that they identify with it, because it's Krishna Bhakti. And that feeling of Krishna Bhakti, I mean, just like Rajneesh, what he's, got, what he's doing has got nothing to do with anything in Indian culture. Or uh, Ananda it's it's, people can't relate to it as they can very easily relate with the devotional movement because practically even there may be mayavad and there may be this, so many different sects in Hinduism, but the uh, the mood of devotion that we should identify with Krishna or at least with some demigod that is there. So people very easily identify with this movement. It is very widespread all over India and uh, it's very prominent and visible. It's in the press a lot. So... And people know we follow these principles, so uh, it's had its effect in that now this present generation—they're actually better than the previous generation. The young people now in India are much more receptive than the young people of 20 years ago. Now, what's happened is that because the previous generation—they didn't, many of them—they didn't take interest in their own culture. So that culture, which was coming down, which was handed down by fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers in the family for generation after generation after generation. In the last one or two generations, them got broken. So now the present generation, they're interested in spiritual life, but they don't get any teaching from their childhood, which in one sense is good, because what they were taught was usually so mixed up. So uh, we meet we find whereas previously even those who are favorable to us they thought it's very nice that you've joined our culture now they're coming to us as gurus that you that they're coming to you please teach us they want please so many times we go to a place we do a program people say oh you have we, thank you so much for coming but now you have to stay here because now we, whatever you said we agree with we want to follow it so you have to teach us People, even uh, even very re- respectable people I mean, Recently I was talking to to one man. He was an Indian man, but he lived in England. He was a neurosurgeon, brain surgeon. And he was with his friend who was a, a very prominent uh, eye doctor. He's very famous all over India. So uh, the, the neurosurgeon was saying to me that now, our Indian people, we have to learn our own culture from the Westerners. And he was saying it, not in a bad way, saying it in a very respectful way. So this is the situation now that uh, actually, at the present time, there's tremendous interest. Just like the Saint Prabhupada said, that wherever you scratch in India you'll find Mayabad. Practically now wherever you go in India, wherever you go, and I, I travel widely throughout the country, wherever you go, you can get people to chant, follow the principles. We can the scope is there for making literally hundreds and thousands of millions of people in this country very easily to take up following the principles, chanting Hare Krishna, following Srila Prabhupada, Guru Parampara. It's just, even people, they may have in their houses so many demigods and so many pictures of this and that or pictures of film stars or cricket stars or whatever they've got. But if we if we tell them, look, this is not bona fide. Tell them, this is Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says that it's very easy to convince people. People are actually looking for spiritual leadership and they want something genuine because another effect of the uh, modernization, urbanization is that very quickly Indian people are feeling the same... Bad effect that people in the Western countries are getting. In the Western countries, of course, we know people that are very frustrated, dissatisfied, because the modern modern way of life, of course, material life means frustration and distress. But modern life, especially being based on sense gratification with no family affection, and it's very it's very displeasing in every respect. So uh, in the in the Western countries, the same effect that was there, that's also there in India, but it comes much quicker quicker, because people are more pious here, that very quickly, with a little bit of modern life, very quickly they get completely frustrated, and stress and anxiety, and they, that effect of wanting to come to spiritual life comes very quickly. Another thing, of course, is that the whole Western mentality, the, the body is given with the mind, according to our previous karma, the Western mentality is suited for sense gratification, whereas the Indian mentality is not. Even if they try, it's very difficult for them. Even if they try, it's very difficult for Indian people to become hardcore sense enjoyers. And they, in the more than they try, they very quickly become frustrated. So these are all different reasons why that the time now for preaching krishna consciousness in India is just so overwhelmingly good. I think if we had a million sannyasis and gurus here, it might be enough because there's about 850 million people so if we, if we had one for every 850 people it might be enough but I doubt it maybe we need more we don't we don't have enough preachers to fulfill the demand it's just amazing the change that's come around, come about and 20 years ago it was a struggle it was a great struggle and of course preaching is always a struggle but it's now the struggle is how to keep up with the demand we practically we can't do it now, of course, this uh, cell preaching, or do, the, the where we, we want to train people up to preach the, the people who are more enthusiastic. We train them, and you have to preach among your own group, and then you make your own group, and then from that group, some of them have to become preachers and in this way. Because we, it's not possible that our devotees who are living in the ashrams, living in the temples, going out, they, we can't meet the demand for the interest in Krishna consciousness. So this is the situation. It's a very, very favourable situation for preaching, and we need many, 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 many preachers to go out. Now, I was saying, of course, about the modernization, Let me speak a little bit more about that, because you may think it's strange why I'm talking about how good the situation is, whereas those who have been coming regularly, if you, you can just see how in, how the culture is going down, probably you, you could notice that, right? We. We first, we first came together in 1976, when it was the first time you've been 20 years So then and now, such a difference, and just, just by opening your eyes you can see. It's very, uh, it's very easy to see actually in the women, because one thing is probably you didn't even see them, as one thing. And now, you say, it's like gradually they came out of their houses, and they took their veils down, and then their hair parting went to the side, and then there was no parting at all. It was just tied up at the back, and now it's not even tied up at the back, and it's cut, which is very inauspicious. This means their husband should be dead if they cut their hair. And, uh, fashions, jeans, t-shirts, and mixing. <coughs> Twenty years ago, young boys and young girls, they can't make, walk and talk together on the street. Now it's, of course, still not in the villages, but that, uh, but, uh, in the towns, especially in the, In the areas where there's more money, Bombay, Delhi, Gujarat, you'll find young boys and girls freely mix and talk on the street. So these are all these are just ways in which you can see how the whole culture has gone down so much in so many ways. There's a lot more money now in India than there used to be, which is but that there's a lot more money floating around and people are using that for degradation. So it's a it's a time of great social change. It's a time of tremendous social change, which is historians or, or, or religion or anthropologists or sociologists. They always say a time of great change. It's always a, it's always a good time for religious movements to flourish because people feel insecure, they don't feel solid cultural roots, and we see that in Europe and America in the 60s and 70s among the young people, it was a time of great social change. So it was a good time for making many devotees, and in Eastern Europe now, it's a time of great social change, so it's also a very good time for preaching Christian consciousness. So in India also, it's a a time of tremendous social change, and it's also a very good time for preaching and making devotees. Okay, where are we going? So, there's, that's a little bit of background. So, uh, the conclusion is that we need many, many preachers of Krishna consciousness in India. Practically, Western devotees, even if they have tilak and a bead bag, and they don't behave too abominably, just if they maintain some kind of decent behavior, that in itself is preaching. Even if you walk down the street, anywhere in the world, if you walk in the street with a dhoti that's preaching, the same thing in India. Western Any devotee, especially if they say, Western, tilak, neck beads, chanting Hare Krishna. <coughs> Just if they see you, that's good effect. Even if you even if you can't speak the language, if they see you in Harinam Sankirtan party, it has a tremendous effect. Uh, so we need many, many preachers to come. Now, of course, many Western devotees, when they come to India, they mostly only visit Mayapur or Vrindavan, but there's much more to the, the land of Bharata Varsha. Of course, these are the transcendental dhams, whose importance cannot be understressed. But as Prabhupada once said, Vrindavan is for inspiration, and our real work is all over the world. And He, he said that for a sannyasi it's more important to preach about Vrindavan than to live in Vrindavan. So I, I, we may visit Vrindavan, put our heads in the dust, pray to Radha and Krishna for their blessings. In my epoch, pray to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for blessings. And then earn those blessings by going out and preaching the message of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu everywhere. So, uh, one thing about being in the Dhams is that we're in a. It's uh, like a protected situation. In one sense, you don't really reach India. You don't reach. because we're just with our own devotees and all arrangements are made. And You don't really see. you don't really experience what it is to be in India. You don't really. If we're traveling town to town, village to village, especially uh, if, we, if we go in people's homes, we, we sit with them, we talk with them, we spend time with them, then you, you get feel, feel the pulse to, of what the whole country is about. Just like Kolba, when he first came to America, he was living of course, with, of course, that was uh, Agarwal, at least the husband was American, It was Indian. But he had he become Americanized, so he was living among the American people. Just seeing how they are. Of course, there's no benefit spiritually to seeing how the American people live. And, uh, but, but for, for preaching, it's just to feel what is the culture, how are people thinking, how are they living, how to relate with them. And of course, to pick up the culture, we have to actually move in the country, go around different people. Uh, so we need preachers. Now sometimes <coughs> Western bodies, they come to India with, uh, a little bit like a tourist mode I worked very hard in the western countries now I'm just going to come and I'll go to some holy places and I'll drink a few soft drinks and uh, I'll have read a bit and go to the beach and sunbathe and uh, after some time I'll go back I'll I'll hire someone to wash my clothes and uh, I'll enjoy myself a little bit and go back so that's also not harmful to see different holy places that's a good thing but uh, we, we need devotees, actually, to take up the preaching very seriously. To, to, preaching is serious work. It means, I'm saying it's a very good preaching field. That doesn't mean that uh, p- people just walk up to us immediately. Okay, what's your name? All right, you can be initiated in six months. It's not that there's people are lining up. Actually, it happens sometimes. Uh, people are, when we're selling books, sometimes we've we actually had this experience that so you have to have the people disciplined someone holding them back because there's so many people coming to buy books all at once. But preaching, of course, means we have to speak, philosophy, we have to go through many difficulties. Uh, a lot of the difficulty, of course, in being in India is just being in India. There, especially for someone who's coming from the West, especially for the first time, You may, in many ways you may find it very difficult. I know myself when I first came that I thought it was like being in a different universe. It was just like it was so completely different. I'd never been outside Britain, and here I was in uh, India, and it was just—I I remember first driving into Calcutta. And it was early in the morning, and uh, we were driving through the streets just at, just after sunrise, and we were driving. And I was thinking, well, this area must be that—it's all just left like this for demolition. But then we were driving on and on. And I thought, so many miles like that. And there's people coming in and out, and I thought, oh, maybe people are actually living in those houses. I couldn't imagine that people would be living in, uh, in these places, you know, just ordinary Indian houses. So, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite different. Just like that, that example I was giving, that uh, people all the time coming up to you and saying, what is your name, what is your country? How many brothers and sisters do you have? What is your educational qualification? What is, you? what is your father's job? And so many different things like that. What, what made you to convert to a Hindu? And so many. So, uh, now in the Western countries we have the idea of privacy. Mind your own business. Why are you asking? So it's a whole, uh, it's a whole different way of life to adjust to. Of course, the food we may need some adjusting to, our stomach. It take some time to adjust to so many different things. Um, it's different, there are difficulties, but nevertheless, if we are going to preach here we have to understand that certain difficulties are here and we have to accept a lot depends on our attitude. That if we many times you see devotees come to India and they're being this is wonderful and so so nice, so many people turning our Krishna fed up and say, I want to go back to my own country. So some determination is needed, that uh, all right, I made a decision, I'm going to come here, all right, I'm going to stay. Whatever happens, I'm going to stay. I know when I was going to India, I wanted to go to India to stay for preaching. So my GBC man, he gave me permission, but he told, but if you go, go, don't come back. He said, I see so many devotees, they go, they spend so much money, to go to India, and then after some time they just come back. Go and don't come back. So I took that seriously, and even though I got very sick many times and in many difficulties, but uh, I was determined I have to stay. And now I'm feeling very happy that I did, because I feel I've learned. And one thing is that Prabhupada wanted devotees to preach in India, Western devotees to preach in India. So uh, of course he wanted devotees to preach in the West too but he wanted <coughs> some devotees should do that so I feel that uh, in my staying here the Prabhupada will be pleased with that and uh, another thing is I feel I've learned many things which now and in the sannyas order of life I'm in a position to teach that to others learn about culture and philosophy also for preaching in the Western countries is I, I remember I, when I was first joining the movement in the West I was really Prabhupada's books. I was wondering why is Prabhupada so many times talking about Mayavadis and Sahajiyas and Smarters and all these things? Because that's only for India. It's not only for India. Now we have in the Western countries Mayavadis, Sahajiyas, and I'm sure Smarta's and everything else will come. It's it's just like how has, what is Hinduism anyway? There's no Hindu, originally there is Krishna speaks to Brahma, Brahma speaks to his disciples and the pure Vedic message is spread. But because people twist that message for sense gratification, therefore it seems to be Vedic, but actually it's a perversion. That is Hinduism. So in the same way, Prabhupada spread pure Krishna consciousness all over the world. And people, they want the benefits of Krishna consciousness without the hard work. We want to love Krishna without having the hard work of rising early in the morning, following the four regulated principles. That is called sahajya where people feel in their heart love for Krishna, but they don't want to follow the regulated principles. So that tendency is there. So sahajya, Mayavad, so many different things that will gradually come all over the world. So actually I remember there was the first major outbreak of sahajyaism within our movement happened in England. Uh, I, was in, in Bangla- I was living in Bangladesh at the time, so I wrote to one of my friends. So Bangladesh is a cultural part of India, politically it's separate now, sometime. So, but it is a land of tremendous Sahajaism. It's like the, the national, among the Hindus, the, the culture is Sahaja Vaishnavism. I'm not, not telling as a joke, it's a fact. That people, it's, it's show, very showy devotion. So uh, I wrote to a friend in England and said, Hey, what's all this? I heard you're having all these kirtans and people falling on the floor. And, so, and I got a letter back and saying, Well, it's really ecstatic. and I've never seen anything like I did. I knew this is Saji You can taste it's the same salty taste. You taste the water in Puri in the sea, it taste salty. And if you go to Brighton in England on the beach and taste, it's the same salty flavor. So whether it's the uh, sahaji Bhav in Bengal or in England, it's the same nonsense. So, what are the arguments again? How can you reckon? Now, these things are very valuable. Devotees should know these things. So, for philosophy, for culture, I feel as if I've learned many things, you can also, uh, learn these many things. So, how did I get off on this? Yeah, so I was talking about we want people to come and dedicate seriously. Now, uh, If devotees want to take this up as a lifetime service, preaching in India, that's very nice. Otherwise, even if you come for some time, I I would recommend, if possible, of course, it may not be possible for all devotees to come and spend some time in India, but if you can spend some time and utilize that time properly. Again, don't think that, all right, now I spend some time in the West, I'm just going to relax and take it easy in India for some time. And if you use that time properly, go out and preach, uh, Surrendered, process of surrender doesn't, it's not that we come on a holiday, we have to go on surrendering. So if we utilize that time, uh, we spend at least maybe six months, one year, some time in our lives in India, we can learn many things. It may be a specialized thing, you may go on some course, just like in my part they have courses on deity worship. You may spend some time learning, learning, you can learn how to cook nicely for Krishna. There's so many different things you can learn. But uh, in general, I would recommend, come, spend some time, try and absorb the culture. Spend some time traveling. If you can travel in India, uh, preaching, then you can learn many things and you simultaneously do good to the people. You will be benefited and others will be benefited also. Now, of course, devotees who want to come to India, usually they get discouraged. By other devotees, temple authorities like this. So of course, one should come with temple authorities. We should not come without temple authorities' permission. But uh, at the same time, you should know that there's many things that are said, just like, well, if you go to India, you'll get sick, you'll die. Uh, all these different things. They're not necessarily true. Of course, you may get sick. Many devotees who come to India do get sick, but uh, you get sick, it's a normal thing. And then you get better. You go on with your service, that's all. It's not, it's not such a devastating thing. You get a little diarrhea or maybe a little malaria or something. But it's... So what? In the West you get flu and colds and so you People get cancer. And here you get... Uh, actually, if you, if you know how to look after yourself, you don't have to. You can protect yourself. If you eat clean food, eat regularly use a mosquito net, the you don't have to get you don't have to get sick but you may get sick but so what? you get sick and then you get better again and then you go on with your service that's all so uh, you know, no need to be discouraged devotees may discourage you actually Prabhupada he also wanted many devotees to come from the west for preaching he was so serious about this that in 1971 when our movement was much smaller we, didn't, we had much fewer western devotees at that time, Prabhupada said he wanted 500 Western devotees permanently in India for preaching. In other words, he was, that would have been, if 500 had come, that would have been a tremendous sacrifice for his preaching in the West. He was so serious about it. But at that time, he wanted to bring 500 Western devotees for preaching. And Prabhupada was even telling Western temple presidents, send men. I remember, there were, Prabhupada, several times in England, he was telling send, and it was only when he told several times, they actually sent some Even they were denying Prabhupada. So these things were, were and are going on. There's It's not a crime to come to India. It's not. Uh, it's not that you're breaking some unwritten regulated principle by by coming to India. It's not a bad thing. Prabhupada wanted that. But the thing is, we should come at with. We should take permission from our temple authorities. And when we come, we should work under some specific program. One thing I see, that Sunday's devotees come and they're just, well, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that, and uh, that we should go to some specific program or welcome to some specific authority. Otherwise, the tendency is, for want of a better phrase, to space out. Without any proper engagement, without any proper guidance, then the nature of the mind is to become weak and not engage properly in devotional service. So we should go and work under some authority who will guide us and uh, engage us in devotional service. Um, Another thing which uh, (coughs) temple authorities in the West are sometimes afraid of is that actually most devotees naturally have a tendency they want to come to India because there's a feeling devotees they tend to think of it's almost like a romantic thing that we want to come and it's a land of spiritual life which it is but of course if you're in the cities it's a different atmosphere now the cities in india are horrible and that's polluted noisy crowded and it's difficult to it's it to perceive the spiritual atmosphere like it it's not what you might think that there are just palm trees everywhere under every palm tree there are people sitting chanting Hare krishna it's not it's not what you might romantically speculate but naturally devotees like to come to see the land of krishna the land of rama practically every pebble in this country Every spot is a sacred place because Lord Ram, Lord Chaitanya, Lord Nityananda, Krishna also, they all traveled throughout this country. And so many sages and rishis, the Pandavas they went of. So by the lords, his incarnations and his uh, devotees, they, are, they have all covered the whole country. And the whole, all the rivers, Apparently, all, all the rivers are sacred, more or less because they have been sanctified by great personalities. And even there are many lesser-known great personalities. Even nowadays sometimes you meet people, very saintly people who are just living at home in their village. This was the tradition in every village. There used to be so many saintly people who were reciting Ramayana, Bhagavad Gita, like this. So it is a very sacred place, and devotees want to come. They have the feeling they want to come, but some, they have they are too much sentimental and they come to India and maybe they associate with Babaji's or they become more interested in the Golia or something like this. So that is, a, that is a very real danger. We should be careful when we come to India how we associate. I'm not saying that you can't go to different Marts and, and visit different people, but we should keep strong association and understand that we're in this movement, Prabhupada's movement, to serve this movement, we're not here to become some kind of Babaji or something like this. Sometimes we see devotees, they think uh, it's a contamination, they think it's an easy way. I'll become a Babaji, or a join the I'll join a Gauri and I'll chant a little, and eat a little, and sleep a little, and know there's all this hard work in this. I don't like that. I'll just become immediately advanced by eating rice, plenty of it, and so, uh, and then talking high topics. So uh, that's definitely not wanted, that like devotees, they come and they they make their own path of spiritual life. We should stick very firmly within this Iskong movement, which is the movement for making spiritual advancement in the modern age. This is Lord Chaitanya's movement for sp- spiritual advancement in this age means preaching Krishna consciousness. So we should stick with this movement and uh, preach Krishna consciousness. So with this attitude, we should come. So, tomorrow I'll start talking about the different, uh, programs we have for preaching. All the different kinds of programs that, uh, you can get involved in. (coughs) And we'll also, we can also talk about some of the different philosophies or or wrong ideas which we may have to confront when we are preaching. So is there any question then? Please.
1: I am Arish Kumar from the Sandhya University of New Delhi. Hare Krishna. Thank you very I have a question and some comment and Yes. yes. A question in India, I a question in the context of Indian traditions. Mm-hmm. Because in India, so many corporations blow poverty line. Blow poverty line. They are suffering so much, so many diseases, so many, no clean water, no clean air, no clean environment, no clean reigning conditions. How to change it? Because this is the, one of the best movements, best preaching system to change his mind, to change his consciousness. What is the condition? What is clean air? What is clean water? What is God? What is very rice? So how we can proceed further to change his mind, change his, his thought to the lower class of families, very very lower class of thermals.
0: So no, this is the whole process of preaching to change people's minds. That we'll discuss more tomorrow, but preaching <coughs> means to enliven people in Krishna consciousness by requesting them to chant Hare Krishna, giving them Krishna prasadam, giving them Prabhupada's books. This is the process of purification. The
1: second observation, the observation is kind of in our management how to behave. How to take a Yes,
0: that is our Krishna conscious movement. How to behave as a perfect person. That means one should chant the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, follow the regulated principles, rise early in the morning, put on Vishnu Tilak. This is the behaviour. By which everyone can become perfect. That is taught in our movement. It's central to our movement. It's not a separate aspect. You have something? To
1: say? Well, maybe we can, for another bit. I was speaking to a devotee yesterday about this issue of preaching in India, hmm. and he said that there's an illiteracy problem. a problem with people, perhaps in door particularly, that the, the, amongst the common, amongst the deprived, the sort of common people that there is uh, a lot of people who can't really Mm -hmm. know how to And therefore, doesn't it make it more difficult if you're basically preaching out book sales? Does not that create a
0: problem? No, there are different programs. Book distribution is very important. Uh, It's not a problem because we can speak to the people who are not literate and ask them to chant Hare Krishna. Often those who are not literate, their mind is less confused. And... uh, for philosophy, well, those who are literate they can read and they can speak to those who are less literate. It's not necessary. It's unnatural, actually, that uh, it's never been in any culture in the world that everyone has been trained in literacy. Mm. It's not necessary. It's actually a disturbance. Only those who are uh, who have spiritual, intellectual inclination they should be trained in literacy. Otherwise, you see all the low class, stupid people. They read <coughs> what do they read? Sex novels. Batman comics nonsense. So it's better they didn't read. Any other question? Please. About what, nature? About what? that what? About what? About
1: what? About what? what? people know About perception About what? It may be,
0: yeah. but I, I qualify that by saying, and at least in the towns where our movement has been more prominently preached. So uh, certainly in Bengal, in all the Bengali papers, they say Iskod. Then in uh, Bombay, I said, there's different towns. So, anything else? What's this? All right. So, maybe I'll ask him tomorrow just to start a few minutes later because if he's going to be here because we're supposed to be here until six o'clock. All right.